Welcome to What Is It About the Weather, the weekly podcast where we explore all things weather intertwined, weather touched, if you will, but not so much the weather. I'm your host, Mark Jelinek, and this week we're going to be talking about your weather reality, or how real is your weather. But before we dive into the main topic, as always, let me say I hope you've had an enjoyable and interesting intertwined weather week. Maybe there was something new, something different, something you never thought about before. I know for me this past week, I, the, the big news had to be uh, the big snowstorm in Santiago, Chile. As most of you know, I lived there for many years. Uh, still go back and forth. Actually, I'm going to be going down there not too far in the distant future, so this one really kind of stung. Also, you know, I love the snow and ice. So here it was, snow and ice place I used to live for 10 plus years and I didn't get a chance to see it. Now, when I lived there, we did have at least one event that I can think of where, you know, I actually saw visual snow falling at my elevation. And I'll put a link in the show notes. Anybody who's never taken a look at Santiago, it's a beautiful kind of backdrop setting. There's all these nice pictures of Santiago and its buildings and everything with the huge Andes Mountains as kind of this, you know, it doesn't look real sometimes. But if you ever pay attention to the snow lines, they usually don't make it all the way down to city level. This is one of those times when they definitely did. And there were inches or centimeters, whichever you prefer, of snow that actually stuck in the city. And of course, with this, there's good and bad. One of the other interesting things about Santiago or Chile in general, and this is true at, at a lot of locations around the world. Here in the U.S., we don't see this as often, is kind of this open access to the utility poles. So there's just gobs and gobs of different companies providing services, and these poles get overloaded. The other thing that's also interesting is they've really tried to preserve trees in many of the communities with the, and they're huge old trees, you know, some of them have kind of grown into, you know, the street. We, you see that in locations, right, where the sidewalk starts to buckle up and stuff. But, you know, it's part of the character of the location, even to the point where in some places they almost kind of build the road around these, you know, ancient trees sort of thing. Again, good thing. Competition, good thing. But here is where it all goes wrong. This was one of those big wet kind of snows. And man, it was snapping branches everywhere and, you know, people not, certainly not used to being able to drive in this stuff. So just all the chaos that ensues with that. Tons of people without power. Fortunately, they got it restored pretty quickly. I would say within a couple days, but it was a pretty big mess. Beautiful mess, but a mess nonetheless. Again, check the show notes, look at some of the pictures. I put a link to one of the Spanish, the main Spanish newspaper there. So you're not going to, you know, if, if Spanish isn't your main language, you're not going to be able to read the story. But some great snapshots, some great visuals. And of course, you can search other things. I mean, I saw articles translated in English, but you know, the details, not as, you know, in depth. It's certainly you don't have the quantity of pictures. So if you like that kind of stuff, check the show notes, take a look. It was definitely a beautiful scene for the most part. And overall, people were really having fun. You know, people making snowmen, people just diving into the snow. It, it was cute. 
And the other thing I checked into this week, and we talked about this a few episodes back when we were talking about the accessibility of weather, is I've started looking into transcription. So I've sent one of the podcast episodes off to see what one of these companies can do. You know, transcription, that was one of the other things, interesting things I've seen lately. We're living in this new gig economy, as we call it, right? Lots of more people, whether they're driving for Uber or whether they're doing freelance work, a lot more people doing what we call gigs or, you know, just individual project-by-project work. And there's pros and cons that come with that, of course, and we're not going to dig into that here. But one of the very prominent ones currently is transcription. Now, anybody who's ever used Google Translate or any of these online services, you know, they kind of get you the idea. But when push comes to shove, they don't necessarily, you know, do all this, I don't know, get it right. (laughs) Ideas, yes. Context of how it should be written, not necessarily. Now, again, that will change over time. But kind of transcription and translation were kind of at this area that's really booming. Now, in looking at this, this company also wants to charge. You know, they, they do this free one. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But, you know, at 30 minutes, it's, it's not an unreasonable amount. But the other thing I found, and this is going to be the baseline comparison, is, as you know, some of you know, some of you don't, that there's, we have this YouTube channel for the podcast, right? And over on the YouTube channel, we include not only these other things that we do, like the clouds episodes and the shorts episodes, but I put the main episodes up there too, so that people have access to it. We do have a few people in there that really, that's where they get it. Not not a lot, but a few. But one of the benefits, back to the point of all this, is YouTube does an automatic translation. So I'm going to be really interested to see how well it compares to somebody actually doing it. Again, we're not making lots of money on this, so I may have to start with a free YouTube thing. I don't know. We'll give it a try. We'll see what comes of it. But the goal, again, is to make the podcast as accessible as possible for as many people as possible. All right. Enough of the side talk. Let's get back into the main thing. Now, I'm going to warn you. I haven't even had my full first cup of coffee today. And my world for the next, I don't know, month or so is going to be a little chaotic. So, you know, maybe there'll be more of these. You're probably going to even hear an episode recording in Santiago if everything plays out right. Not that you would know the difference, right? But actually, I recorded some there last year. So we'll see how all that plays into the mix. Any case, let's move forward with my brain maybe not being on full connection, all the synapses working properly yet, but we'll forge on through and we'll talk about how real is your weather. Now, specifically, we're going to get into this whole idea of augmented reality and virtual reality. As you know, I'm a tech kind of person as well, like the tech stuff. And there were a couple of things recently that kind of brought this episode or the desire to do this episode bubbling up to the surface. One, as you know, I was on another weather podcast called Weather Brains. Those that are kind of weather enthusiasts that are also listening here, you're familiar with that one probably. It's been around forever. And it's mostly what you would consider what we call operational meteorologists. Some in the media space, so some talking to us Joe consumers, some working for the National Weather Service, 
So maybe you do or don't know them. But again, their, their goal is to get you that kind of weather. So that, that show's really geared around that. But they had somebody on and when I was doing this guest panel scenario. Dr. Lee Orff, and it is a male. Again, link in the show notes. Who's doing work with simulating tornadoes, thunderstorms, again, these higher resolution, smaller events. Now, he was working with data from a fairly large tornado event, but but the idea in the end is we're finally getting to a stage where, one, we have the computing power to do these things. Higher resolution things are always difficult because you're trying to, even though it's a very small area, you're trying to resolve things and understand things on scales that we're just not used to when it comes to modeling. And that's what he was doing. The other part of it is the data. Data is, I, I can't even begin to tell people. I, we'll talk about this a little bit when we get in. But but data is always kind of the, <laughs> one of the banes of, of meteorologists that are trying to do any type of forecasting or modeling. In any case, he had some great things. And it reminded me about how... I've watched weather kind of in the technology space, what I would call the visualization space, which is really what this, you know, these different realities that we're talking about is. But the other part, and I think I've mentioned this before on a previous podcast, is the teaching element. And that's, again, I had this conversation with Dr. Orff on the show in general, which is this past semester, I, I don't know how many times I would have loved to be able to hand my students some virtual reality goggles or be in a virtual reality space of some kind and really be able to help them visualize. Now, again, teaching's a little different. In that case, I'm really trying to work with people that need to have this in-depth understanding and maybe you're coming at it from not a lot of background. So the, t- the class I was teaching was not one of these, you've been in weather for years or you've had multiple classes so much. This was more of a of a first level level introduction to weather. Now, at a higher level, you know, graduate students, upper level undergraduates. So we were getting into some detail, but it didn't assume that you understood in depth all the science behind the weather. And that's what we were really getting into. But I don't know, I again, I, it was time and time again where I would have gone, oh, I would have loved to have been able to say in some sort of 3D space, you see this over here. Because there's a lot of things that we look at that we call the the front entry, the right quadrant, the left quadrant. We start putting all these things on it, and sometimes it's just hard to visualize. It can be hard to visualize and explain it, teaching it as well. And that's the other challenge with this is you're looking out there, and you want to see this understanding in faces. And sometimes you get it, and sometimes you don't. You keep trying to do it until you do. But if we could all be immersed in that space, I think it would go a long way towards explaining that. And I even wrote a post about this on LinkedIn. For those of you who don't follow me on LinkedIn, you can, feel free. I'm in there. And you can go in and and see this post. And I made the argument about ARVR and how it's actually probably best suited today in the educational environment. And it was for this very reason. So that was kind of the mindset of where I came from. The other one was it's it's gaming. You know, I, I'm not the quintessential gamer. I, you know, I'm not spending all my free time in front of an Xbox or a PlayStation or any of these sort of things. You know, I haven't owned every edition of Nintendos from a, you know, a 
regular to the super to, you know, to the Wii and all those things. I, I haven't done that. But consistently over the years, I have been in the games and in the computer games. And I use it as much for, well, part of it's kind of that whole escape and do something different, but part of it also keeps me mentally challenged. So I also play a lot of games, you know, where it's Scrabble type games or crossword type games, stuff to keep me mentally sharp. And what that has to do with weather, absolutely nothing. But in some of these games, and one of them being Minecraft, I started playing Minecraft a few years ago and it was neat. You know, it, it was a lot of fun. Could do it with other people. It was a good way. And again, you didn't have to be overly absorbed by it. You could do it, maybe watch a little TV while you were doing it, that sort of thing. But one of the things about it is I was playing it on the mobile devices. And on, on mobile devices, the development was kind of behind the computer version. And when I heard about the computer version getting weather components, I was like, oh, this is really cool. And so, so I'd gone through a spell just for a while where I really hadn't used it much. And then I heard the weather was back on the mobile and I really wanted to play it. And it was neat. So I went in there and, and, and I've experienced, again, weather over the years in these different games. And as with a lot of things in computers, gaming is one of the first areas we experience these things. And they had done a really good job with it in, in creating it. There was... There was rain and snow, and the, there had always been kind of these blocky clouds. I mean, that was, you know, anybody who's played Minecraft kind of knows the whole blocky thing. But this was neat. This was, I don't know, it, it, it felt at least, you know, like that weather event was going on around you. From a visual standpoint and from a sound standpoint. Actually, the sounds that were done were, were really well done. One of the things I thought was odd, however, is you were if you were playing with somebody, they could be standing next to you and experiencing completely different weather. I'm not sure how that works. Well, I, I guess it could happen, but like they're looking in the same direction you're looking, and they're seeing sun and you're seeing rain. I don't know why that is. Really doesn't matter. So these were kind of two things that you know I look at it again and again, and I was going, man, there's this there's this opportunity, there's this golden opportunity for bringing weather more into my tech space. Now, of course, in the past few years, the big craze seems to be about what we call AR, VR, or augmented reality and virtual reality. And let's, I, I want to make sure, I, I know some people will know those terms and feel very comfortable with them and others won't. So I like to explain it this way. Augmented reality it lets you keep your perspective. You're still walking around in your space. And the biggest example of augmented reality success in the last couple of years has probably been, or at least that everybody would hear about, is Pokemon Go. But it's really pretty simple. Your camera on your phone, you're walking around, almost like you're shooting a video of wherever you are. But you're working with these little creatures, and the creatures just show up in your space. But again, you've got to be looking at your phone to see that, or your tablet, or whatever your mobile device is. But it's cute, and you can take little snapshots, and so these little creatures appear in your world. But that's augmented reality. You're, it's still your reality. It's still your perspective. So your broader space that you're seeing around you is, is very real to you. It's a space you know and exist in. And even though you're looking at your device, it keeps that perspective. The space is still real. It just adds these other things to it. Virtual reality, on the other hand, is more immersive. 
you get that you have that loss of references because you you truly are typically putting on these headsets that block off your ability to see anything outside of of that screen that you're looking at. And in that case, the goal is to truly put you in a different space. You go into a portal into another world or something completely different. And the idea is not all that different from just a movie theater in general, right? And, it, and it's why movie theaters still succeed, even though we're getting more of this media at home, is because most people don't have a room that they can capture and make their own. And the idea of the movie theater is exactly that. It's to immerse you in this world. That's why it's dark, other than the exit lights. But the whole idea is, is really to give you a space where you can kind of put yourself in this other world. And that's really what virtual, real, virtual reality is all about. But this stuff's not new, right? We've been talking about these technologies for years. It's not a new thing. I mean, there's been books written about it. There's been movies done about it. The challenge has always been the technology has not quite been there to where it felt real. And we still have some of these issues with, you know, getting dizzy or feeling nauseous when you're working with virtual reality. But there's been a ride, rides at amusement parks that have been using this for a while. Different ways that we've tried to use it with computers and in gaming, again, specifically. So it's not really a new thing. But we're finally getting to the stage where people look at the technology and go, yeah, our computer processing is powerful enough, especially on these little mobile devices. You know, we got the data, we got the computer processing, it's time to make it a reality, if you will. So let's start with the AR and, and where this applies and whether. Now, there's a couple of things that I, that I saw on this that are interesting in what's been done, and probably the main thing, so a couple years ago, back in 2015, uh, a little over two years ago, there was a big announcement. Jim Cantore, anybody who watches the Weather Channel knows who Jim Cantore is. Many of you who don't, you know, will still know who Jim Cantore is. Famous for thunder, snow, and putting himself in all sorts of harm's way at, at, at different uh, weather events. He kind of he goes out there and lives in it, right? So he definitely shifts his reality to being old, uber real. But they they did this big thing, and it was about a tornado simulation. And since that time, they've also developed a product called Max Reality. And the idea, and their research shows, they did this research, so it's not like it was a paper uh, outside of their work. But, you know, anybody who works in media knows they do a lot of panels, a lot of asking people questions, those sort of things. Their research showed that people were more likely to be engaged and view positively the weather forecast if you had these augmented realities. And the idea is essentially that your media broadcasters would take their weather studio and add this virtual component. Now, sometimes it means, you know, making weather events come in, you make the studio flood a little bit, but you can also do these smaller little visualization sets so that they can do the same thing. They can point to things and show you things. Now, you also got to remember, this was around the time when 3D TVs were huge, right? But it was also around the time that the 3D TVs collapsed. The whole market was collapsing. And as of this year, none of the main manufacturers, none of them are making 3D TVs anymore. So I don't know 
And this is my struggle with it. I look at this augmented reality, and I think when you've got an immersive space, somewhat immersive, even 3D, where you can kind of gain perspective, that it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. But if you try to make that tornado and try to show me different aspects of it, and I'm doing it in a 2D plane, I don't know if it works. So I'm not convinced that where we are today that augmented reality does add all that much to it. Yeah, I think it's neat. And I think, you know, the first couple of times people see it, they find it neat. And I do think the using it to explain weather phenomena or even what you might see in the area works well. And, you know, again, we've seen some of these 3D simulations with thunderstorms and, you know, these big kind of what I would call severe weather events for a while. But when you're trying to show that in a 2D space, it loses a lot of that oomph factor. And again, I don't know. I don't know how good the traction is with this product. And I've, you know, I've seen some press releases. You could do a search on Google and see what, you know, different stations maybe in your market or wherever have, have adopted this technology. But I don't know with this whole, we've gone back to 2D in our homes if that's really all that viable. And the other space we saw it in, of course, is you see this with the apps. Ugh, I feel like we're reaching the, we are, we're reaching, you know, app overload. You can't go into the, any of the app stores, whether it's Apple or Android or whoever, with not just being overwhelmed now. There's just so many choices. And it's hard, it's kind of like being a podcast, it's hard to get discovered if you're doing something good. But with AR, I found a few apps. Most of them were older. And as with all, apps anytime you see an app that has that hasn't been updated in a couple years you know that there's no work being done on it but i saw a lot of 1.0s or even some 2.0s but not like version 2.24 and you know updated in the last six months or any of that sort of thing and the idea though again it was intriguing it would show you a picture of a space, almost kind of like a web, having a webcam of, of a location, and it would overlay the weather so you could get a visualization of what, what it might be like. And people might use this in travel. They might use it if they were going somewhere or visiting people or just to, to gain a perspective. But again, I didn't see where, again, neat idea. Interesting that somebody implemented it, but what's the value? And so I'm not sure there was. And the other thing that came up with that is I don't know people who aren't used to dealing with weather. This is the best way to describe it. Don't understand how complicated working with weather data is. And I think that's what happens with a lot of these apps. Cause you've heard me talk about it in previous episodes, the apps just seem to stop working and anybody who's not used to working with weather data can't even begin to appreciate the complexities of how, th- how often things change and you got to be willing to change things and little nuances. It, it's weather data is just not normal all the time. And I think that's a lot of times what happens with these developers is they're coming at it from a non-weather angle, which is great. I think that's a helpful thing sometimes. It's more of a regular user potentially. But not having the experience with the weather data can be a little overwhelming because you think you've got everything figured out and your app's going along and then all of a sudden stuff just stops working. And it becomes a full-time job just trying to keep up with the changes in data formats, data timing irregularities, etc. So AR, I'm not so sure. VR, let's let's talk about VR because it's really a whole different thing. And there were a couple of 
examples that I found. One of them is Virginia Tech has developed this huge room that you can actually experience not only these things on grand scales, and that's the whole idea, but it's it's designed conceptually that they'll be able to add other components to it. And I think that's what's interesting about VR. With the ability to kind of immerse yourself and see things and experience things, I, I think that's interesting. But I don't know from a entertainment factor, let's say, or a non-educational space or a non really useful space, medicine, some other places where you're not hung up so much on, you know, what's it feel like just having that visual space and be able to create that 3D and kind of immerse yourself is the key. That's the key. Now, I will add with that, whether it's business or whether it's entertainment, that the sensation of what's going on around you, I think is what's going to make it to where people really adopt this technology, really make it a part of something they want and are willing to participate in. And I found, so there was this room, right, at Virginia Tech. And I think, you know, over the long term, if they have the ability to add different sense, you know, involve the, the senses besides the visual. So whether it's the ability to heat up the room or to add wind to the room. And again, this doesn't even have to be from a standpoint of trying to make weather exist. And they had done some tornado simulations. Again, we keep getting in these tornadoes, these little small things. But it was visual. It's all visual. And great applications for that. Mainstream is not the place. But now we have, in the past couple of years, all these little headsets. More of them that you can just take your phone, put it in some... You know, a little thing you stick over your head. You don't even have to attach it to anything else. And you can go. Great for entertainment. Still not fully immersive in terms of the senses. And we've had these other things. You know, different places tried to add other senses. But I came across a project run out of the University of Singapore. They've created this thing called Ambiotherm. And the whole idea is, so you've got this, I think it was... um, the Samsung virtual reality, if I'm remembering correctly. Phone in this little set of goggles. You got the goggles on, but you add to it, you add to it, this little drop down that looks like, almost looks like little computer fans, fans that would blow on your cheeks, which are right below the goggles. And also, very importantly, on the back of your neck, they add this little band that gives this ability to one, give you the, the wind sensation now, but also the sensation of temperature change. You know, we talked a little bit about, you know, our, our ability and how we dissipate heat in the last episode. But one of the parts of the human body, and, and anybody who's ever, I, most people have probably tried this at some point, they tell you to give you a sensation of cooling off, you know, maybe run your wrist under cold water. Or, or the opposite, under warm water if you want to warm up. And it's because of how exposed your veins are to a very thin layer of skin at that point. And so it creates a sensation. While it may not actually heat up or cool down the body, it creates a sensation of that temperature change. The back of your neck is another one of those places. So they've created this headset that can actually make you feel warm if it's sunny or the wind. Now, you know, maybe they need to add a little mister to give you the the rain I, you know I don't, I don't think we're there from the liquid precip yet but this is a great start to be truly becoming more immersive and making it feel like you're in part of the weather 
don't know that we're there today overall, but it's a great starting point, and hopefully that technology will continue to evolve. Right now, it took a long time to get virtual reality where we could start disconnecting ourselves from computers, and that's what some of these newer systems have done. Not all of them. Some still require you to be connected to the computer. But adding this element back in actually required even a freestanding system to be reattached to the computer, and I think that takes it out of the element. I do think the being able to walk around or somehow, and, and this gets into futuristic movies, you know, a lot of the futuristic movies, you don't see people moving around. They're in like a chair. But the body's hooked up in such a way that it gives you the sensation that, that it's providing those through other outlets. And I think this headset addition is an example of that. And I do think that that's where it's going. So does it really work for you? I, I, I don't know. Do you, do you guys think that this is the future? Do you want weather immersion? Right? Do you want to be able to go into these virtual realities and how important will it be? Now, I know if we're trying to get to the matrix or something that you'll really have to have the sensations, but just today, how important is using these products, the ability to have the senses and weather is one of the primary things out in our world, right? When we're outside, weather is the main thing that's providing that feedback, hot day, cold day, windy day, dry day, wet day, whatever it is. And like I said, some of these you know, movie theaters have added this 4D stuff where they shake the seats and spray mist on you and stuff and rides at amusement park. Or, or is this stuff going to really remain limited to you know, business uses or you know, medical uses or educational uses for now where people need the immersion for understanding but don't need it for all their senses. Although I would argue, and, and I think this is the case, that surgeons who do things in virtual reality will find it more, what's the right word, will, will find it more realistic, I guess, to do the work in those spaces if the feedbacks, all the feedbacks are the same. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. All right. I'm going to wrap up. Next week, we're going to get back to the big eclipse here in the U.S. We're about, uh, as of tomorrow, I think we're, we're one month away. So it's just around the corner. All right. It's the end of our summer kind of RSVP overview. And this week, we end up with Pledge. Now, each episode that's done takes about I, roughly, roughly eight hours of my time to put together from creating the content, to recording the content, to putting it out there, and all the things that go with it. That's roughly a week of time a month. A little short of that, but a, a, a standard work week here in the U.S., 40 hours. Some places, it's more than a work week. What the pledge system allows you to do is those that listen on a regular basis, and I wouldn't expect anybody that's not a regular listener to do this, but those who listen on a regular basis to help us keep the hard cost the hosting, the equipment, those sort of things that take real dollars out of pockets and make them go somewhere else to keep that at a neutral state. That's the goal. It's pretty simple. You've also heard me mention that I want to add some equipment, the ability to do some things that just can't do today with the current setup. I'm willing to make that investment and do that because it helps evolve and improve the podcast but by you contributing, we're able to keep that in a neutral state. And that's the goal. I'll invest as much of my time as it takes to do these things. And I have been doing that. 
But what I'd ask is for those that are regular listeners that you consider, whether it's through the Patreon system, which allows you to do it on a monthly basis, very simple, just kick in a a buck a month, right? Or, as others have done, through the PayPal system, do a one-time donation. Both these things can be found on the whatisitabouttheweather.com slash support that you consider giving a little value back. Not tons. Not asking you to pay for the whole thing, cover the cost for everybody, but give a little something back so that we can continue to do what we're doing and making, hopefully, what is a valuable podcast for you and others. All right. You know the overall drill, rate, share, validate, and pledge. You guys continue to be great on this overall. It's Every week, do I get tons of one or the other? No, but I can't recall a week going by where I haven't seen signs of people helping with the support, and that's what matters. And that's what keeps us plugging forward and and hopefully bringing you, again, a quality and entertaining and informative podcast that you can find useful. So RSVP, rate, share, validate, and pledge. You can read more about it. What is it about the weather.com? Well, that's where you find everything, right? Just do the slash support and you can learn more about it. Or slash contact if you want to send a a response, get in touch. Of course, you can always reach us at what is it about the weather at gmail.com. So until next time, until next time, may you have an interesting and enjoyable and informative and education and entertaining intertwined weather week. Because as we all know, there's much more to weather than the weather itself. This is two production. We're tired of hearing our uncle grovel, so please support him on patreon.com slash weather.